Well, good morning, folks. This is Harold Jarbo, a.k.a. Build Ham Farmer and Mark Stepp of Uppercut Media, who is in Los Angeles. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Mr. Jarbo. How are you? Well, it's been a whirlwind period here for cannabis here in the last couple weeks. Uh, I think we kind of touched on that before on the last podcast, but all the things that we thought might happen did. And then if on the national scene, Delaware did wreck, which up in New England, it looks like New Hampshire is soon to follow and New England will be solidly recreational. Yeah. Live free or die hard. Yeah. You know, we talked a couple of days ago about whether D8 is still legal in uh, dear old Massachusetts. I wasn't aware of that. Interesting. But it's kind of under the auspices of cannabis and the same thing in California, D8. Now, the thing that they did change in D8 in California is it is now being treated like a recreational drug. So you can't go in the gas stations and legally get it. Doesn't fall under the uh, gray area of CBD, maybe. It seems like America is starting to realize hemp is stuff you make shoes and you, you make snacks out of. Anything else is not really hemp. And so they're starting to treat it like a cannabinoid. Yeah, I think I remember you talking about that in 2014. Yeah, it reared its ugly head and finally they're realizing. Plus, there's also the taxes and all the other things. So here we go. Uh, and America is now having to uh, basically deal with D8 or, as we in the business like to say, hemp-derived cannabinoids. But the big thing is, because it's people like it and people bought the hell out of it, is D8. The states around America are starting to deal with it in their own ways. And it wouldn't be surprising if in California they do crack down on D8, not because it's um, a menace to society. It's just that, uh, as you have said on more than a few occasions, the uh, recreational cannabis companies in California are hurting and hurting yeah. bad. I guess, too, this would fall under the compliance issues that are, not to use a pun, but be literal, that are really taxing everyone here. Well, the thing it is, is there's been a lot, a lot of pushback for people who did pony up to pay, in some states, an exorbitant amount of money to be able to sell cannabis, and then yep. to look look down the street and somebody's paying one-tenth of the compliancy and can produce a hell of a lot more cheaper and you got to compete with them and it's uh it's it sucks it does yeah, it really does yeah <laughs> and i say that as somebody who has been doing that i have been getting away with doing hemp derived cannabinoids for several years or tennessee homegrown has let's put it this way Tennessee, our dear sweet sponsor, has been taking <laughs> advantage of this for several years, and now it appears that our free ride is over, because I guess what we're going to kind of talk about, and since you are a quasi-resident of Tennessee. Yeah, I think on the tax form it says part-time. So, yeah. 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 So you're a quasi-semi-resident of Nashville. Now it's kind of in your ballpark, whatever. Yeah. The sim simple fact that on occasion, to help you with your sleep, you do consume D8. Correct. So now when you come to, to dear old Tennessee and you want to get your, your sleep aid, 
you're going to have to cough up 6% more. Yeah, and uh, I think I also understand it's going to be hard for an adult to even get into the packaging now. Well, it's it's not going to be so much hard. It's just now there's going to be layers of, uh, of bureaucracy and paperwork. So yep. I guess that's the same thing, isn't it? It's the same exact thing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, yes. if, if you don't mind, just because I am a part-time resident, if you want to give us a brief rundown of all the new ramifications of the recently passed ruling. Well, it, the law is HB 0403, SB 03878 or something like that. And it did get passed. And it got passed uh, with a... I don't know, an inside joke, but it got passed on 420. <laughs> so, appropriate, appropriate. <laughs> and the, the dear sweet legislatures who passed it, passed it on one day and then promptly left town the next day and basically dropped it on the TDA and the Department of Revenue and said, uh, you got this. And, and, this, and this has been going on for the possibility of this has been going on for two, three years. Two years. Last Dude. year was the first year that they, it, it dawned on them because of the farm bill. There was all sorts of hemp-derived cannabinoids, uh, aka THC, different types of THC. The biggest loophole was basically a, a form of legal weed called THCA. Yeah. Because there was no real enforcement on it. They're basically Getting that excess weed from California was making its way to states where they have the loose THCA laws. Ah, uh, capitalism run amok. Well, it, like I said, it was kind of amazing that, you know, what started out as marijuana in California or Oklahoma as across the, the state border miraculously became THCA flower and yeah. was being sold openly on the streets all everywhere and there were huge amounts of it. In fact yeah they got dudes at the border just changing the labels right well <laughs> yeah, get, that gets yeah yeah <laughs> yeah or it's time sensitive when it knows it goes into a central time zone it changes automatically oh that's pretty slick well like you that. know it's like your phone right you change yeah. time zone you change it well you you go out of a uh, Pacific time zone, and you get into Central, and all of a sudden became THCA flower. Uh, uh, okay, makes sense uh, now. <laughs> well, so because of this, there was uh, an outcry, and last year they were going to try to pass a bill, but then they realized it was beyond their scope. I mean, that, and so they decided to just uh, run out the clock and then start this year, which basically... The only thing big difference between the bill last year and the bill this year was the fact that the bill last year was loosely based upon how they treated alcohol. And everybody was like, cool with that, because there's not as many restrictions on ethanol as there is on hydro or cannabinoids, especially THC. Hmm. But this yeah. year, someone got, and, and, and no one knows how this baby got delivered either. I mean, right now, there's some people saying they had influence, but those people say they influence will be the first one to admit they didn't get the law they wanted. I have two questions. Okay. Uh, and correct me if this is going off on a tangent. Uh, first question being, from what I understand from you, it's 
it's really centered around from the legislative side of how do we protect the kids? And then also, is there anything that you noticed that was hip pocketed into this bill that affects anything else? Oh, there's one thing the bill's not defined. Of course not. So that's politics. And, and children is the guys, and that's one of the bigger biggest things between the bill last year and this year is that this feigned interest in that we have to protect the children. Uh, one of the best case uh, that is starting in January of 2024, you will no longer be able to open a store or uh, stock your store with any hemp-derived cannabinoids such as D8, HHC, the THCA flower. With the loophole being... Any, well, any store that's still located any, can stay. In that's it exactly. Evidently, uh, any pre-existing store is grandfathered in, which then leads to the query, well, why are new stores a threat to children and older established stores aren't? Makes perfect sense. <laughs> what does make sense is though when you look at it at, from a perspective of business in general in Tennessee is if you're an established business and you're paying taxes, they have no desire to mess with you. Yeah, they, they want that revenue. They yeah. do. And you know that you're, you're a business uh, owner. You have a, one of the finest little post-production houses in the country and you decide to sit down here in Nashville. And what were some of the reasons why you decided to sit down here? Mostly because there was a lot of business there for me, but then as far as structuring a business and planning on it and getting a business model, much easier from a financial structure in Tennessee than uh, the great overtaxing California. And it's it's pretty big difference, isn't it? It's massive, and it's massive in a lot of ways. Uh, one, taxation, obviously, uh, business licensing, and um, just overall permission to do things is very tough in LA. And then the biggest thing being um, facilities and rental expense. Um, it, it was probably, I would say, less than one third the cost to do business from a rent standpoint in Nashville than it is in LA. And then there's the, well, of course, you're still legally a resident of California, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And I run my business both here and in Nashville, but as far as cost of business goes, the real profit margin uh, lives inside the 440. Once you do become a resident, and Tennessee is opening its arms towards Uppercut Media right now. Oh, they is, email me every day. Going, Come on, <laughs> man. Move in. Move in, because there's no uh, state income tax here. Yes, no state income tax. Like most everywhere, it's really, everything's overpriced and the Fed's getting ready to raise interest rates again. So I, I would imagine by soon the mortgage rates will be at 6.7, which is uh, outrageous as far as trying to control inflation. Yeah, so I think it's a little bit more to let the clock tick for a while before I decide to pull up stakes in California and permanently be in Nashville. All the various conditions that me and Sepp have just been talking about is one of the reasons why th there has been over the last couple of years several cannabis companies set up headquarters in Tennessee. And twofold thing, easier uh, in business environment, less tax, less regulation. And it was a wide open market. 
what does this new law do to a startup business, let's say in cannabis in Tennessee? What do you think it'll do to their costs? Well, first of all, they're going to have to actually have costs. Before this, before the little HBO 403 came into being, uh, except for a business license, which, you know, would be if you were, you know, selling dog treats or cheeseburgers, that's all you had to have. There was absolutely, if you wanted to be a processor or a producer, there were no costs other than what you would have for any business. Now, uh, if you're a producer, you're going to have to cough up 500 bucks, which in the compliance world of cannabis is still minimum. And then what you're going to have to do is you're going to basically have to, to partner up with the TDA because they're going to have, which is the Tennessee Department of Agriculture, which is basically the poor program that got stuck with this. And I'm going to go back to that here in a minute. We're going to finish your question. So you have to get a license. You, if you're doing edibles or uh, anything that have pertain that will get ingested, you're going to have to have a certified license from a kitchen. Have a certified kitchen. Everything's going to have to be in child-proof containers. Also, if it's an edible, before we had no limits on the amount of cannabinoids you could cram in. As long as it came in under that 0.3, as far as, you know, Delta 9, THC, you could jam. I mean, there are people literally having 75 and 80 milligram gummies, uh, brownies that weighed four ounces that would have 300 milligrams of cannabinoids in it. Wow. And everyone in the industry will admit confidentially that was crazy. We knew that when you started just keep throwing more and more cannabinoids, in edibles, there were going to be a couple things. One, I'm sorry, you eat a couple hundred milligrams, of, whether it's D8 or whatever, and you're faced. You had people who would take a chocolate bar, and which had a couple hundred, and they'd eat the whole damn thing, and then they would be too high. Also, occasionally, and it wasn't that much, but it was enough to, to raise eyebrows because of careless adults. Then you had... Uh, adolescents getting access to these things and once again getting fried and some of them ended up in the emergency room yeah so, I, I remember you telling me a couple of incidences of trips to the er yeah not me personally though no 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 i didn't i'm a, didn't I'm a professional i can handle it yeah uh, <laughs> but <laughs> so but that was the big thing was to get a hold of the dosing the uh, access to children and the, the, you know, basically trying to do like what you would do in a rec environment is make sure everyone's 21 and above, which is kind of this bill that got passed here in Tennessee looks like to me and Lee Crabtree, my wonderful partner and co-owner of Tennessee Homegrown, concurs with me on this. It looks like Tennessee's new hemp drive cannabinoid law is basically a recreational marijuana law that's been cut and paste. When you first told me about this, I, I was thinking it was the, okay, here's the first step toward rec. And this is what we're going to do for now, kind of as a band-aid. Well, it is, except with this framework, if they wanted to, in a year or two, it ain't going to be any more in a couple of years, they could come in and drop this because actually how this law is being done is it's a self-regulatory recreational cannabis program because 
Although some people do use D8 and HHC and some of these other synthetic cannabinoids, such as THCO and P, they uh, do occasionally do it for medical reasons. The preponderance amount of people that are consuming this are doing it recreationally. So here you have a recreate and it's set up like recreational because doctors have nothing to do with it. If it was sort of like a medical situation, a physician could come in, refer that and whole bit. But this is totally outside this program out of any medical concerns, any of the medical, the, any of the departments in Tennessee that oversee health and human resources. I think that's might be the name of the department. Don't don't hold me to that. But any, but it and it really has nothing to do with it. This is almost like alcohol, except that it's much more stringent. Now, right. getting back to the major changes, uh, one is not everybody's going to have to be able to do it because of location. The second thing is now everything has to be behind the counter, whereas before you could do point of purchase. You know, you like especially in vape stores and, and liquor stores, the big thing is having a big bunch of stuff crammed right there by the cash register. You know, it's POP, point of purchase. That's gone. Also, you're not going to be able to go out, work the streets and do marketing by giving away samples. Oh, uh, interesting question. How does this do for the uh, outdoor events that you've uh, attended before with a uh, pop-up? Well, that's a good question because this is one of the things about, like I said, there are laws that, that get passed by legislatures and there are cannabis laws as they are implemented and seldom are they the same. And the reason why is that the people make the laws don't think about all the different details. And that's one of the details that's worked in the new Tennessee HBO 0403 it doesn't address online sales, it doesn't address courier services, and it doesn't uh, address special events. Theoretically, any place that you want to sell this, and then this is not right now, this will be starting in 2024, that you're going to have to plop down 250 bucks. I'll do a plug for the turnip truck because they plug for us. There are three turnip trucks that's uh, which is an organic grocery here in Nashville. They each have our products. So once this law takes an effect, each and every one of their stores will have to have a $250 license to be able to sell because now you're licensing the place. You're not licensing the person. So let's say if I, there's the uh, Smoke Fest 2024 and they have it in a park, no one knows if I can do it and if I did want to do it, how would I go about doing a temporary, because it's going to be a one-day event. All these things, you know, which comes pertains back to what you were saying about how, if you want to start this out, how is it going to cost more? Well, if you have to punk down 150 bucks to have a booth at a place and then plop down another 250 to get your license, you're already $400 in the rear without even making a sell. Wow. So, so this is, and, and then the other thing, they're going to be adamant about doing, improving your 21. Uh, and so the one downside to this crazy little, our little baby cannabis law here in Tennessee is uh, it actually made a couple things illegal. 
All right. First of all, if you mess up or there's a fake ID or whatever, and you sell to a minor, it's a class A misdemeanor, which means here in dear old Tennessee, if the judge wanted to throw the book at you, could mean as many as three or four thousand dollar fine and 12 months in jail, which I don't think anybody wanted to make a law to make more criminals. Then the other little law that they little offense they made criminal, which is a class C misdemeanor, like in in the past, before this law passed, if you bought your vape cart or your pre-roll or your edibles and you know you took it out of the package through the package away, it was no big deal. The state of Tennessee had to prove that it was an illegal product. Well, the flip is now. If you get pulled over with your pre-roll or your edibles or carts or whatever, you have to be able to prove to the officer that it's a legal product, which means you have to have unused portions kept in its original container, and you better have a receipt, which sucks. I mean, why are you going to pass a law to where now the onus is on the consumer? And it will be selectively enforced, as you and I both know, since you are a part-time resident of dear old Nashville, it is one of the more liberal parts, probably the most liberal part of Tennessee. And even though it's not stated in law, most minor possession here, they confiscate and tell you to get the heck out of there. The district attorney here, which is Glenn Funk, has decided it wasn't cost effective to prosecute really low level offenses. So right now in Davidson County, we have a sort of de facto decriminalization. Now, you go outside Davidson County, and depending on how conservative the county is, it's going to be a totally different thing. Plus, I hate to bring race in it, but racism, integral part of this country. Tennessee is kind of redneck. So you know that the disproportionate amount of people that will get messed with because of this law will be people of color or people who speak another language. That's the bad thing about it, is it gives a district attorney who's bored another little thing. If he wants to mess with somebody, I can tack on another charge. That sucks. But, you know, that kind of comes, you know, with it. None of this has basically been figured out. It it, kind of, this all goes right back to where we started, that it's an ambiguous law. And how do you enforce it? So now there's going to be testing. Uh, If you're a store you basically have to be responsible that the the label on the products are true. So before this HBO 403 happened was, is if you had a a quasi certificate of analysis, something close, that was your get out of jail free card. Well, that's no longer the case. Now, if you sell a product, you are responsible for making sure that that's a legal product. The layers now of testing are going to be a whole bunch more. Even if you like Tennessee homegrown, we t- we test a lot so we get lower prices. You're still looking at, uh, for potency, a minimum of $75 per test. Then if you want to do full panel, and we're talking about doing metals, pesticides, the whole smear on that, it can be as much as $400. Some stores, whether they're, you know, cannabis stores or vape stores or whatever, may have as many as 200 different products on their shelves. Wow. So it's going to be one or two things. People will either start 
carrying a lot less product or they will lean on the people for providing it to do in-state testing. That's another one of the little things that's changed with this. No longer can you use Ed's lab. <laughs> Ed, we, we give you the COA you want. Yeah, it was a great lab too. <laughs> so, so now you're going to have to use a DEA certified lab. One of the big bugaboos, which is part of REC, which is people have been able to get away with here in this state as well, whether it's California, Oregon, or wherever, is where you do shop for the lab. And all of a sudden, your flour that really is 22% THC is now been bumped up to 26, 27%. You know, lab procedure and stuff, there's a way you can kind of cheat it to get a 15, 20% more uh, THC levels. Right. So that, that had been done and it's still being done, but that's going to stop here because there's people selling here in Tennessee, THCA flower that they're swearing up and down is like 30% THCA, which is just, no, 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 it's not. Plants don't do that. Didn't you mention to me also too, that now they'll be able to do in-store testing? Well, that's what I'm saying is you're now responsible for your product. So if the TDA comes in and says, I want to look at that product and you pop out paperwork, I've seen Photoshop COAs. I've seen COAs. You could see that, well, how come this font doesn't match the rest of the font? Right. <laughs> it's just like, wow, that's different. But that will go away. And quite frankly, the two labs here in Tennessee that are in-state that are DEA certified, KCHA, which is up in East Nashville, and dear old New Bloom, which is down in Chattanooga, will be the beneficiaries of this. But I don't know if there was anything sinister on their part. I mean, uh, right now, because the law did not turn out like everybody would have liked, there now has been some finger pointing. Sure. Like, it's why, you know, you guys were in the room. How come you didn't get what we want, you know, what we wanted? Yeah, what's happening? Which, which is convenient, but I think probably has nothing to do with reality. Even before the lobbyist even hit the building, most of the people that knew anything about this had already made up their mind. The first thing that got shot down in this legislative period was uh, decriminalization, which yeah. is really a low bar. That yeah. got shot down. Uh, of course, medical marijuana got shot down. And the rec bill, I don't even think, made it to a committee. The fix was in, and as the Senate pro tem said, uh, he didn't like it. He didn't, he, as long as he was in his position, there would never be legal cannabis in Tennessee. And then they ended up doing this bill, which is basically kind of unique. I don't think there's another state in, you know, in, in America or U.S. that went about this the way that Tennessee did. And, and here's the big difference. When California decide to go REC or MED or, or any of these other states, the program started from scratch, which meant that everybody had, before you could participate, you had to get your license. You had to go in there and put all your paperwork in. They could yay or nay you. You had your background checks. Here, just the exact opposite has happened. And the TDA will be the first one to admit this. They have no idea how many establishments are selling hemp-derived cannabinoids in Tennessee. 
And presently, there is no way for them to know because the only reason why we're on Tennessee Homegrown is on the TDA radar besides, you know, we're producer is the fact that because we have to have a certified kitchen, we're on their radar. Only way a gas station is on their radar is if they have a hot bar. But if all you're selling fishing lures, gasoline, uh, beer, and cigarettes, TDA has no idea what you're selling. Here it is, is a program that might have 2,000, I don't know, 3,000. I have no idea. We really, me and Mr. Crabtree have a couple times tried to sit down and figure out exactly how many places and how much is being sold. It's beyond our abilities. In this wonderful bill, they guessed. They think uh, Tennessee right now is selling per annum here about $200 million worth of hemp-derived cannabinoids. But that's a guess. How do you rein in and get control of a $200 million industry? I, I'm asking. I don't have a clue. I, right. I mean, most of the time, as you well know, I'm very opinionated. And if I have an idea, I'll, I don't need prodding. I really do not know how this program is going to be implemented. They don't have any money. The, yeah. <laughs> the legislatures passed this law and left town and did not put any money in the kitty at all. Right. So their solution was, is that we're not going to implement almost all of this stuff except for the excise tax, which the excise tax kicks in July 1st. So the theory for the from the politicians was they would live off the land. As the money come in, they then they would you know plug it in. And but you can only get the money if you know how and where to go to get it. So here it is. The only thing that they can really do to try to get revenue is to go through their little database and figure out the people they do know. One of the cool things that happened, and you tell me if it's coincidence. But literally 15 minutes after the legislation that where the, the HBO 403 got passed, 15 minutes later, uh, Lee Crabtree got an email from the Department of Revenue talking about how we probably need to take a seminar on how so we can be able to collect and give to the state excise. But that only went to maybe a couple hundred people. And that amount of revenue won't be coming in and it will come in in drips and drabs. They think they were going to be able to get away with basically running this program. And I'm talking about, once again, not the TDA, because I love those folks. They're, yeah. they're nice folks. But the state legislatures thought that by basically like a dozen or so people, they could hire and, and this would oversee the program. Sure. I, I, it, maybe, but I doubt it. So here, here it is. And, and this is the horrible thing about this is, and, and like I said, we'll see how this works out. You don't have enough money to operate the program. You don't have enough people to implement the program. And then when you do, all this is going to have to be massaged in. And that's the thing about it. Is these new fledgling cannabis bureaucrats are basically going to have to learn how to walk and chew gum at the same time because they don't know anything about this. I mean, they're going to take people that probably already work at the TDA, whether they're a pathologist or they, they were the wheat guy, and they're going to come in and they'll get a little note that says, now you're in the hemp-derived cannabis program. Oh, wow. 
since this is a state that has never really had anything to do with cannabinoids, there's not like a huge amount of people that you can plug in. Because to be an infective inspector, you have to be able to go in there and have a pretty good rudimentary knowledge of cannabis. How do I know if this is right or wrong? How do I know if this is realistic? You don't. So that leads me to what's the burden on the TDA now? Well, what do you think it'll do to them? Do they have to staff up? Do they have to figure out what's going on? Well, for one thing, I love, I've listened to a couple of them talk about it. They never wanted the program. They protested. They said they didn't want it. But it, when it got dropped on them, it was basically, um, you know, like, like a soldier. They're going to go in and they're going to go forth and do battle. And they're going to try to do the best they can. But they already know they're screwed. Yeah. They do. They know they got shafted. Because this is the thing. Another thing versus... Most other states, when they institute a cannabis program, is there's one program. Like, you know, in Washington, it's the Marijuana Licensing Board, and that's all they do is cannabis. But this is not going to be the case here. They're going to try to plug in a, a department, the Department of Agriculture, who doesn't have the ability, nor do they want it. What's going to be hard to do is how soon will they be able to get a core group of people, one thing, gathered, then trained, and then get them out there? Because it's only at that point they're going to see, wow, like, okay, transportation. You're now going to have to have paperwork with you when you, let's say, here down at the deer at the farm, Tennessee homegrown farm, we get an order for a bunch of things from a store. We're going to have to have paperwork to go with that. I'm going to have to go where it's going to go, what it is, what, you know, all the thing, and then have the proper paperwork, like, okay, I did have a license, here's the COAs, all that stuff. The one thing about it right now is, once again, with the courier service, because we have courier services here, you can literally call somebody up and supposedly, within the hour, have your cannabis. And who's who's doing that service? Is it Leafly or who's doing that in town? No, there's a bunch of privately owned companies. Considerate Flowers, Holistic Connection, GH, probably five or six companies now. I mean, just like in LA, when when the law started getting implemented, the real big gray area was courier. Right. So all that's now in the, the equation. And another thing, most of the the medical and recreational programs have is basically they're cloud-based. Right. And whether it's MJ Freeway or THC, uh, you know, there's a bunch of these things. The state of Tennessee did not budget for that. So any interaction between the department and growers and or sellers is going to have to be done the old-fashioned way. Sure. Which, once again, makes things real inefficient. So all this has to be worked out for the program to be effective. And quite frankly, uh, since there has not been a history here, I mean, let's face it, California, you lose California because we both know it well. The medical program got instituted, what, 1992? Yeah. In California? Uh, yeah, I think that's when it started, Prop 215. Yeah, I mean, it was like back in the 90s. I know well, that. Well, it, it was also very, very small movement at the time so the reason i bring that up is 
whether the state of California wanted to or not, it sort of had to deal with cannabis and quasi-legal cannabis. So the state was aware of it. There was thing, different little committees and things like that were going and trying to keep track of it. Tennessee, none of that. I mean, they're bringing it in, burn it. They went from zero participants to thousands and not knowing who and what and where. The other thing that's going to be really, really interesting is uh, I bet folding money that a bunch of the people that are selling hip drive cannabinoids in Tennessee have no idea uh, that they're here within eight weeks, going to have to start charging excise tax. And the ones who do know, I don't think have any idea how they're supposed to do it. Do I send it in cash in an envelope? You know, how do I set up to where we do all that? Is, has not been thought out. The biggest thing is going to be uh, public awareness or commercial awareness, I think would be the better term. Now, will the industry participate actively? Because if they can't get the industry to actively participate, it's going to even be uglier. Here now comes the quandary. If you don't have a lot of money to, to run radio ads and TV spots and do direct mailings, how do you get everybody's attention? My gut feeling is that the TDA will not want to do this, but will be forced to do high-profile bust. Wow. Well, okay, nothing gets you focused like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so's vape store? Well, they yeah. got raided. Well, that's kind of what happened here several years ago when the Fed started deciding to raid people here at dispensaries, and, and it definitely shot up some red flags and they're going to have to also go in and muscle the larger stores because once again this is where they'll start where uh, the larger stores you know come uh, basically august 1st uh, 2023 where's my money yeah where's exactly. my money where's the taxes yeah, yeah where where are my money and so that'll be the other thing once you know that they come in you know like i said muscle or the excise tax, and then also come in and start really doing testing. Nothing gets a store owner's attention like you yanking product that they paid money for off their shelves and basically telling you you're going to just they're going to destroy it. Well, now in, in your talks with TDA and other people like that, do you think they're going to amp up in-store testing, or do you think it's just something that might start in a year or two? I think they want to, but they don't have the people. They don't right. have. Yeah. See, this is the chicken for the egg. They yeah. they need to get the money from the excise tax to be able to fund the implementation of the program. But the program can't really be effective until there is some sort of enforcement. Classic government. Yes. Oh, my God. This is, like I said, when I talk about cannabis bureaucrats, that's what they're going to be. And once again... The people that are going to be doing this, it was never like, oh, I'd love to be in the cannabis enforcement department. No, they're people who got it forced on. And like I said, their day starts and at a certain time and ends at a certain time. They're, they have no vested interest into making this to be a crusade. And then the TBI also is going to have, have a problem with this as well. Because let's say once it gets to the point, let's say they come in and they see this THCA flower and they're going, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. 
this is yeah. weed. You guys, you know this was weed, so we're going to have to bust your ass. That means the TBI now is going to have to run all this stuff because this is the biggest difference between busting people 20 years ago and busting people now is that if they are a larger store and are a larger producer, they have counselors. They have attorneys on retainer and they're not going to go gently into the night because this is the hardest thing about, you know, I was talking about shopping for labs and being certified. Labs are not that, they're, it's not written in stone. We have a couple labs that we use and we love them to death. They are make have made our lives easier. But every once in a while, we'll get a certificate of analysis and it's off. We did everything exactly the same. So there should not be any drift. And so we'll get a hold of them and say, you guys, I think you're off by a decimal point. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot in our business. Uh, do you think um, it, this would cause more test labs to open? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and the, and the is, two uh, and the two that you use are they in Tennessee or? Is yeah, you out of yeah, state? we yeah we we try to stay in state DEA just because we do a lot of research and development in Tennessee homegrown, and you can't do research and develop a research of any sort unless you're getting spot on lab reports. We have to know where we're standing in for to be able to formulate and to create new products. We're we're adamant about it. But uh, so, yeah, we use the, the two labs in state that are DEA approved. But a lot of people don't for a couple of reasons. One, price. And then yeah. the second is once you can get the results you want, you can basically shop to be able to find somebody who's a little bit more lenient and kind of looks the other way on some stuff. One of the biggest problems is um, people buying D8 distillate. One of the reasons why we kind of went into making our own is very few low-cost D8 distillate is uh, compliant. Yeah. Yet there are a couple labs that miraculously, if it goes to that lab, it'll come out compliant. Yeah. So I guess, folks, you're going to have to stay tuned because as this story unfolds, and it's going to be a good story. Now, I, I would su suggest to you that uh, since you're in show business, Step, Tennessee is ripe for a great reality TV show right now. <laughs> sure, whatever you say. <laughs> uh, no, I'm telling you, because this is going to, there's going to be a lot of money involved ego and a lot of fear and if that isn't good i mean a good basis for reality tv i don't know what is what all are you doing right now well at the moment i'm watching it rain in southern california that which, should be celebrated right well yeah it and it, it, it's a good celebration it's been going on for months now so it's uh, it's strange to be constantly saying it's another rainy day in southern cal but it is i mean ready to head to nashville and um, start getting ready for Two or three shows will be coming up in the fall there inside the 440. So are you doing the CMA Fest again this year? Yeah, the Fest, the award show, and the Christmas show. All three CMA tentpole shows will be coming up soon. And uh, uh, looking forward to it. Country been very, very good to you. Yeah, yeah, always <laughs> is. And, and love the music and so, love the people. So I, I got to give you a little grief. To my <laughs> knowledge, you don't have one cowboy hat or one pair of cowboy boots. 
Uh, no, I'll contrary I'm on prayer. I do have a pair of cowboy boots. Do All I, right. Do I wear them? Rarely. <laughs> well, that's the one thing about Nashville. People who live and work in Nashville, almost nobody wears a cowboy hat or boots. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a few, uh, but they're authentic. And uh, I, I mean, unless you're on a horse or working on a farm, why do you have cowboy boots on anyway? They're uncomfortable. I have never worn a pair of cowboy boots yet. If you, after walking two blocks in it, you were wanting to jettison those bad boys. Yeah, and because Nashville's gotten all bougie, you can't <laughs> you, you can't wear hats inside restaurants anymore. So, you know, it used to be used to be, you know, you could go to any restaurant with a hat on, and now you can't. So people are putting their hats in the closet. Folks, you have moseyed into or latched on to another episode of Full Contact Cannabis with my host, Mark Stepp of Uppercut Media. And it is sponsored by those lovable lugs at Tennessee Homegrown. And my name is Harold Jarbo, and I am AKA the Old Hemp Farmer. And as always, keep one eye on the market and the other eye on the weather. And thanks for listening. Thank you, man. It's a great episode. Enjoyed it. Oh, I just got applause from the other room. Full Contact Cannabis is a Tennessee Homegrown and Uppercut Media production. You can find Tennessee Homegrown on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Visit our website, tnhomegrown.com, for more background and information covered in our podcast. Post-production services provided by Uppercut Media and can be reached at uppercutmedia.com. Thank you.